Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Alyssa Cohn about the biggest challenge that startup founders face as they shift into CEO roles. Alyssa Cohn, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you so much, John, for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you today. We're going to be exploring the shift from startup uh, to scaling and the biggest challenges that startup founders face as they shift into that new CEO role in the scaling phase. Uh, That's a really hard transition for a lot of people. Frankly, most don't really do it well. They don't really know how to do it. Uh, So we're going to talk about all the ins and outs of that as we have our conversation today. As we get started, I wanted to share Alyssa's bio with everybody. Named the top startup coach in the world at the Thinkers 50 Marshall Goldsmith Global Coaches Awards in London, Alyssa Cohn has been coaching startup founders to grow into world-class CEOs for nearly 20 years. She is the author of From Startup to Grown Up, published by Kogan Page, a one-time startup CFO, strategy consultant, and current angel investor and advisor, she was named the number one global guru of startups in 2021 and has worked with startup companies such as Venmo, Etsy, DraftKings, The Wirecutter, Mac Weldon, and Tori Birch. She has also coached CEOs and C-suite executives at enterprise clients such as Dell, Hitachi, Sony, IBM, Google, Microsoft, Bloomberg, The New York Times, and Calvin Klein. And really, I could go on and on and on because you have such an amazing, um, illustrious career, Uh, but I want to give the floor over to you. Anything else you would like to share and highlight for listeners before we launch on into the conversation? Oh, thank you so much. I mean, just to say that I became a coach to make a difference. And it's really the most important part of my work is that I can touch people's lives and really make a difference for them in a professional context. So it's really powerful to be able to work with founders. It's really an honor to work with entrepreneurs and founders who are changing the world to be able to work with them and be part of their leadership journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, very good. And being in this coaching space and working with, uh, with founders and entrepreneurs, but also those who are working to scale, uh, why don't you lay out uh, really the, the crux of your book from startup to grown up? Um, because that gets at a lot of what we're going to be discussing today. And yeah. then we can start to dive in further. I would love to. So my book, called From Startup to Grown Up, is um, it's about the journey of founder to CEO. So it's divided into three sections, uh, managing you, managing them, and managing the business. And then in the appendix are a number of scripts to help you with delicate, to, to delicate conversations or difficult conversations. So if you think about the journey of any leader, really, it starts with you. So the first person you lead every day is the one who wakes up in your pajamas. And the point is that you need to think about your triggers, about the things that maybe set you off, the things that you are naturally inclined to, that you would maybe 
move towards or move away from. And having that self-awareness is super helpful to set you on the right path to be the right leader for the company, kind of wherever you are. The second part about managing you has to do with managing your psychology. Lots of ups and downs in our lives, lots of ups and downs in leadership that goes double for founders, triple for founders. So really thinking about how do you uh, make sure that you're kind of in the right emotional state all the time and are not susceptible to severe self-doubt or, you know, kind of perseverating. So that's managing you. Managing them is around who do you need to be as a leader in order to get people to follow you. It's also about the tactics, delegation, running great meetings, creating psychological safety, how do you give feedback, and all the tools that you need to be a great manager and leader for your people in service of managing it, the business, which has to do with making sure that you're putting together dashboards and making sure that you set goals and everybody knows where they're going. It's surprising to me how regularly you know, founders don't naturally think about how to measure their impact. They're happy if it's going up and to the right. And my point of view is like, well, how do you know it shouldn't be a little more up and a little more to the right? And then, and I also would just say I have two chapters in, in that section around managing your co-founder and also managing your board. Everybody has difficult and delicate relationships around them that they have to think about managing. And certainly for founders, it has to do with their board and their co-founder. And the last part, as I said, is 14 scripts to help you manage uh, or, or get your mouth around the words of delicate conversations, difficult conversations, like giving difficult feedback, like announcing layoffs, like um, even just having career chats with people and then ultimately sometimes firing people, which does sometimes happen. Yeah, so that's, that's wonderful. Uh, thanks for the background on your book. And you lay out a whole bunch of really important elements that are going to be important as we as we lean into our own leadership. And I like the typology of breaking it down into those three categories. Uh, that's also very helpful. So with all of those things that you just said, all you know, there's lots of things we need to try to learn how to do and to do well, but what would you say is the biggest challenge facing those startup founders uh, as they start to make that shift, as they start to mature as an organization, as they start to grow and scale? Well, I mean, there's so many challenges, but one that comes to mind that's very big is recognizing that you have to let go of the last identity in order to, you know, assume the mantle of the next identity. So one of my clients that I work with, you know, the CEO would, would do it all hands, super casual and just, you know, kind of be joking around and even just like make a little bit like sarcastic comments or whatnot. And then after they got north of like 150 people, somebody finally said to him, hey, it's not acceptable anymore for you just to like, oh, just kind of wing it. You're now the leader of a really like real organization. You need to start acting like it. And it's hard for them to sort of see that. The other thing is that there are old timers, people who started with you when you were just eight people in a room who don't want you to grow. They like the old casual you. They think, oh, you're getting all formal and our hierarchical and bureaucratic. And that can be also how so have a chilling effect on founders to kind of grow into who they need to be. Yeah, so that psychological psychological shift, that's a really interesting thing to, to hone in on because I've also seen that, you know, you, you, you have founding teams that usually form because you have this great idea or you have this, you know, great product service, this great code, you know, this great app, whatever. And you have people with all this technical expertise uh, that plays in it, you know, an important part in the team. Um, and, and so you have the founders that, you know, play that initial role of expertise and it can be really, really hard um, to, to move into a different role psychologically, generally speaking, but also adding on to what you just said, I think, just the shift from being the expert 
driving the product or service to being the leader of experts driving the innovation and the products and services. That's a big, big shift. And that's, that's something that is very difficult. Frankly, most people aren't able to do it. And, and so they, the organization starts to flounder because they, they have a hard time letting go of control over the areas of expertise and leaning on their people and empowering them. And they just failed to make that shift into really what a CEO should be in terms of strategy, big picture, uh, all of those sorts of things. It's so true. It's hard for any leader to do that. I mean, if any leader, as they grow, they have to, you know, sort of let go of their own satisfaction in their own results and take on the satisfaction of other people's results. That's really hard to do. Let's be honest. So it's especially hard to do for a founder because it's like, hey, this is like my baby. You know, I talked to, I interviewed a number of founders for my book. And I, I talked to Dennis Crowley, who's the CEO and, and uh, or the, the former CEO, but the founder of Foursquare and also a former client of mine. And he talked about his experience learning to delegate. And it was very challenging for him. Like first you delegate the stuff that you don't really even like, the business processy stuff or maybe sales or whatever. And then over time, more and more, you're delegating the stuff that actually you feel primarily a part of. It's kind of why you built the business, but you'll never be able to get where you need to go if you hold onto it the entire time. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of that comes back to the culture that you want to build uh, right. within your organization. So again, when it's just the founding team and you have a handful of people in a room together, you know, that's one thing. And don't get me wrong, a culture will emerge anytime you get two or more people together, a culture will emerge within that group. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's one thing when you're all just kind of together and you're working closely together and And then over time, you start to grow the team and you start to have people reporting to you. And now all of a sudden, you're not all in the same room. And and many founders just simply don't have the people management capabilities or the leadership competencies to understand, you know, as things grow, how to look at things in terms of organizational design, uh, work design, organizational culture, and how to drive the type of culture that they want in a proactive way so that you're not just allowing whatever to emerge, but you're actually very thoughtful about strategically what culture do we want? How are we going to get there? And there yeah. are ways to, to develop and then sustain the type of culture you want. And again, that's one of those big gaps uh, that I think a lot of founders have, you know, as they're trying to transition into a more of a traditional CEO role. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the culture piece. How, how, how can leaders making that transition start to, you know, tackle that really difficult piece? Because don't get me wrong. I mean, I, most organizations struggle with culture. Um, even some of the best organizations, the ones we hold up all the time as being the, the epitome and the example yeah. of really great, safe, healthy cultures, dynamic, innovative cultures, they still have issues too. Like everyone does. It's, it's a hard thing. Um, right. But when you have people who don't have any real background or skill set in that, and now yeah. they're expected to lead this growing nascent organization and develop a culture that's going to be sustainable and, and positive, how do they go about doing that? Well, the first is to your point, make it important. So I think there's a lot of founders who, until I show up as the coach, don't always know like, oh, actually, this is something that's really, really important for you and significant for the growth of your company. So really understanding that and making peace with that at first, and then really thinking about what is the kind of company that, number one, I and my co-founders want to be a part of and want to build and lead. And then also what's going to help us get where we're going. So one founder I worked with, he told me he, he's very smart. He's doing this very deep uh, technology stuff. And he hired, he told me the smartest people he could find, you know, Stanford PhDs, everything. I'm like, that's fantastic. And then like a month later, 
He said to me, they're not working together. I can't get them to work together. I said, right, well, did you hire them for collaboration or did you just hire them for SMART? He's like, yeah, I guess I just hired them for SMART. So it's like, I have the best rowing team in the world, but the boat is going around in circles because I can't get them you know, to sort of collaborate together. So we realized that he had to really identify and codify and insist on collaboration and then hire around collaboration and reward around collaboration. And sadly, fire people who are not collaborative because that was even more important than SMART. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Well, yeah. And, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, I say it, you know, sometimes to, you know, family, friends or whatever, but you know, I know I'm in academia. I know a lot of really smart people in terms of IQ, in terms of education and, and knowledge and skill set. I know a lot of people that are really traditionally smart, you know, in that way. Right. Um, I also know a lot of people who are probably among the most brilliant people I know who are all also among the dumbest people I know <laughs> because they just, yeah. they have the IQ, they don't have the EQ, they right. don't know how to work together. Um, and so they, they just, they can think big thoughts all day long, but they can't accomplish, they can't produce. Right. Um, and, and that's a problem, right? And problem. especially in a startup um, phase, you have to be producing constantly. You have to be innovating constantly and getting brilliant people in the room. That's awesome. That's really important. But if they can't work together, um, then it's wasted talent, it's wasted resources, and ultimately you're not going to get to where you want to be. Yeah, it's so true. It's very true. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's talk a little bit more now uh, as we get into the second half of our conversation around these scripts that you lay out in your book. Uh, you have all these different sample scripts for difficult moments, and I'm sure listeners have heard about dif difficult conversations, crucial conversations, some of these other types of um, uh, books and, and workshops and trainings that have been out there for a long time. Uh, what is it about your sample scripts that you find to be particularly helpful for this group of, of individuals transitioning from startup phase into CEO uh, roles? Yeah, it's a great question. So the reason I did, I was writing my book and I had my structure and I was like, you know, typing away and I just was remembering how this is a normal thing that happens. I'll be on the, I'll be on a Zoom call or in a meeting in a, you know, uh, an in-person meeting with a CEO and 
will finally get to the point where he'll realize, okay, I'm ready to have that conversation with that person. And it may not even, it might be delicate. It might be, you're a great employee and I'm bringing in a leader on top of you and it's going to be a good experience for you, but I think it's going to feel difficult for you, right? Like that's not even like a bad conversation, but it's delicate. You got to handle it. So we finally get to the point where he's on, on point to say it. And he's like, oh, I don't know what to say. And then I'll say, well, why don't you just say, and then I'll tell him what I think he should just say. And I see him scribbling furiously, like run video. I'm like, well, you can record this. He's scribbling to say that again. So after that happens over and over again, you kind of get the sense that actually that's kind of valuable. That people find my, you know, recitations of how I would say it valuable. And really in that moment, sitting there writing my book, I took just like a little detour and I just wrote up all the scripts off the top of my head that had been really helpful to founders. And what came from that was these scripts for delicate conversations because you can know all you want that, you can know all day long that you need to have this conversation. But mm, how do I say it? How do I actually say it? The words can be very elusive. So having a grounding and a template to get you started is sometimes the difference between doing it and not doing it. People with even the best intentions often probably usually can be very clumsy <laughs> when they're yes. trying to to say something in a high stress kind of environment or a delicate yeah. environment where yeah. they're nervous about what they're going to say how they're going to say it are they how is it going to be received um and that heightened leveling of anxiety and stress just increases the probability that you're going to put your foot in your mouth <laughs> or say something that's not terribly effective regardless of how good your intentions might be or however um you know you 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 might even practice and want to do it, but uh, unless you really put in the time to think through what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, why, and, and actually rehearse it, practice it um, yeah. over time, you know, you're probably not going to get it right uh, yeah. the first time. And so, yeah. I, I, well, I'm not, you know, suggesting that we need to like memorize scripts, you know, that would feel inauthentic and that would feel uh, formulaic and robotic and that, that wouldn't come off well with people. Um, but we do need to really take the time uh, to rehearse and, and, and think through things. And, and then over time in our role as leaders, we're naturally organically just going to have more and more opportunities for those types of conversations. Totally. And so we will get the practice, right. we will learn, we will grow into it and we'll, we'll increase our ability to deal with those kinds of situations yes. so that we're not feeling the, the physiological, you know, anxiety and stress around uh, dealing with those kinds of situations. So that we can be a little bit more clear-headed and say what we want to say uh, in a positive way. So true. And to your point about memorizing, I really agree. But practice, preparation is the most important of anything. And if a high-stakes leadership event, whether it's you know um, you making a presentation, whether it's a specific kind of meeting, whether it's a delicate or difficult conversation, anything that's important, it's worth practicing in advance, role-playing in advance, preparing, because that's going to help you get the most out of that moment. And I should say, it's also fine to have notes, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think that's always something that's interesting to me is people feel um, like there's something wrong with having like a little note card on their desk in front of them, or, right. you know, you, you have your stuff around you anyways, if you're meeting with somebody, um, it's, there's no problem in just having a few bullet points of like, these are the things we want to cover. Right. And, and that's fine. Um, so, so especially as you're learning and, and leaning into it and trying to get comfortable with these types of 
difficult moments and, and critical conversations, you know, you use some notes, practice, prepare, all yeah. of that will be helpful. And it comes back to what we were already talking about. And that is what kind of culture do you want to create right. within your organization? Do you want an accountability culture, mutual accountability and trust? If so, you can't avoid these conversations. Right. It is such a common thing that leaders, because they're uncomfortable, they're, they're unwilling to broach these difficult subjects with their people. And then they start to come up with all these justifications for why they're not going to have the conversation. Right. Yeah. They, they start to come up with excuses and they start to think, well, the person should know. They should know this is a problem. They should they right. should already understand. I, I haven't said it explicitly, but I've implied it many times. Or, right. or you know, I, I said it to somebody else, so they should have picked up on it. Like, we, we tell ourselves these things totally. uh, right. all the time as excuses to get out of having these difficult conversations yeah. and not realizing that people aren't always connecting the dots. Yeah. Most of the time, people aren't connecting the dots unless we're being they really got their explicit own music in, Right, because they got the music in their head. Actually, John, to your point, I have, um, I, I once was working with a founder and we got into the point where it was like, yes, you need to have this conversation with your COO. Okay, fine. So ready to do it. And uh, they were on a business trip. I'll do another business trip. Great. Three days in the business trip comes back. I said, do you have the conversation? He said, oh, no, we, we didn't have a minute. We didn't have time. I said, okay, that happens. So I happened to be talking to the COO the next day or two. And I said, by the way, the CEO was going to maybe have this conversation with you, but I guess you guys didn't really have time together when you were on your trip in Colorado. And he said, what are you talking about? We were in the car together for like three hours there and three hours back. And I was like, oh, that's what you mean when you didn't have a moment. Like, it's amazing what our mind tells us when we don't want to do something. Yeah. And we come up with excuses and right. we procrastinate and it's human nature. I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm just, we're just pointing out the obvious yeah. that, you know, this, this is something that most people have to deal with. Right. Um, Which is and, why you need support structure around you. You need to exactly. have a script or a template. You need to have role play. A coach is very helpful. A mentor support structure around you helps you do the things that you don't feel like doing, but ultimately you're going to get you where you want to go. Exactly. And so, yeah, we have to have the scaffolding around us that can help us um, have those conversations in a productive way. Right. And again, I, I love the title of your book from startup to grown up. It's awesome. And, and as we grow into these more complex organizations, we grow into these more complex uh, CEO roles, right? Those, those difficult conversations and moments are just one of the components, right? right. That are going to be really important. Again, we've talked about culture, the importance that that plays. We've talked about some of the challenges that uh, these leaders are going to face as they're going through the, those transition phases um, right. and scaling and growth and just shifting their mindset and their psychological approach to their jobs. All of these uh, are part of the equation as we're trying to figure it out. The other thing I would say is sometimes you just need to know when it's time to let go yeah. and perhaps not stay with the organization. Um, yeah. you, you will always be a founder. And so the fact that you are a founder of a really great organization, that's something you always have a claim to, yeah. um, but you may not have the competencies or capabilities to be an effective CEO in the way that we normally think of the term. And that's okay. Like it's not for everybody. And if that's the case, get your founding team together, develop the, the, the business, develop the product or service, um, feel it out, see if, if you're, if it's something you want to grow into. And if not, you can move on. Like you can totally. separate, you no can move on and start your next endeavor. Yeah. I totally agree with that.
people need to have, again, the self-awareness to realize this isn't me. And by the way, you can learn anything you want. I really believe that. And if you're smart to be a founder, you're smart to be a CEO. I believe that. But you may not want to learn that. You may yeah. not want to invest the cycles, the energy, the calories into what it takes to build yourself and to grow in that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a choice, and yeah. I'm a big believer in growth mindset, abundance mindset, and and you know we we can do it if yeah. if we can help if we have great ideas and can get a, a business off the ground and, su- and being successful, we have the, the the smarts to be able to figure it out. Right. Uh, but we have to invest the time, and not everyone's going to be willing to do that. Um, and, and that's, that's fine. So just know yourself and, and be willing to, um, to be honest about that. Well, Alyssa, it's been a real pleasure. I know the time we're getting close to the end of our time together today, but before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Okay. Well, thanks, John. So you can definitely come to my website, which is alissacohn.com, A-L-I-S-A-C-O-H-N.com. And you can say slash scripts. And then there are five uh, scripts that you can download to make your work life better for delicate conversations and one to make your life better. So feel free to download that and also join my newsletter list. You can reach me through the website, connect on LinkedIn and say hi. And I think the final word for all of us, you know, I, I, um, I'm a big believer to your point in, in growth mindset and also the work is in you. All of us have a lot of capacity to grow and to conceive of the person we want to be and the person we want to be and to grow into that. So I encourage everybody to do one thing today that's going to help support your own personal growth. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate all the wisdom, the insights that you've shared with me and my listeners today. As always, uh, I hope that listeners will reach out, get connected, find out more about what Alyssa and her team can do for you. I hope everyone will stay healthy and safe, that you'll find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think.
Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.